All right, well, this is week four of Restraints, and I just want to say I hope this message series has been as helpful for you as it has been helpful for me as I've been preparing to preach. Um, this is a big series, and this is a big deal that all of us need restraints, that you do and I do, that every single one of us is a person who needs restraints because what we've said from the very beginning is that a life without restraint ends up never really being as free as we think it is. That I need restraints and you need restraints because either we choose restraints for ourselves or someone or something or the very things that we chose as expressions of our freedoms end up mastering us, that we end up not free while we're choosing to pursue our freedom, that while we think I can do anything, we shouldn't do everything. And so we, we, we're saying that because this is true, because this is true throughout life, we want to make sure that we choose restraints. So we've challenged you around this idea to choose some personal restraints, to choose some systems that are designed to restrict your own individual freedom that end up protecting you and protecting your freedom so that we can actually live and experience God's freedom. Now, today for my final message in this series, we're going to have we're going to talk about money. And a few days ago in our house, we had a funny little conversation about money. We were sitting around uh, eating lunch, and I looked over at Noble and I said, "Hey Noble, I just want to let you know I think you're really cute and I think your shirt is very pretty." And she was like, "Thanks, Daddy." And then she said, "I picked it out and I bought it." And I thought neither of those things are even remotely true. And so I said, well, no, you didn't buy it. I bought it. I, I picked it out and, and I bought it. Daddy picked it out and Daddy bought it. And she said, no, I picked it out. I bought it. And then we got into one of those funny little dad to toddler, you know, arguments where I was like, no, I bought it. And she's like, no, I bought it. And I was like, I bought it. I bought it. And she's like smiling and laughing along. And I decided to throw her a little curveball. And I said, okay, if you bought it, what money did you use to buy it with? And she looked at me just with, with as much seriousness as a three-year-old can have. She said, Daddy, I have so much monies. I have so many monies in my money banks. I have so many monies. I used that money to buy the shirt. And I'm like, first of all, no, you didn't. You're a liar. And second of all, you don't have that much money and you only have two money banks. You don't have so many money banks. And so I was like, no, well, you, you have two money banks. And she's like, I have five money banks. I was like, you have two unless you're hiding some. And I don't know what happened. And anyway, so I'm like, she has two, right? And I looked at Jalen. I'm like, she has two, two, two banks, right? Two little piggy banks. And Jalen goes, well, yeah, but she probably has more money than you think because when my dad comes down on the weekends, my dad's been giving her like straight up cash. And so she might actually have like a lot of money in her bank. So you should actually go check. And I was thinking, well, you can't just open someone else's piggy bank. That's a, that's sacred space. And Jalen's like, you should just check it because I think she actually has quite a bit of money. So later that day, I went to put Noble down for her nap time and I was like, all right, I'm going to look, I'm going to look, look in these banks. And sure enough, I open them up and there's just cash in there. And, and at that moment, I ended up realizing, oh my goodness, my daughter does have so many monies in her so many money banks. And I, at that moment, I was very relieved because I realized that from this moment forward, I don't need to save for college. I don't need to save for a wedding. Those are all going to be covered by GPAW coming over and dropping cash in the money banks. So thank you so much for paying for the wedding. Thanks for paying for college. We are set. And so here's the thing. For my daughter and for her money banks and for you and whatever your version of money banks is, we're going to talk about money today because as a pastor, one of the things that I've come to believe with my whole heart is simply this, that there are two decisions a person makes in life that really have the potential to change a person's life. See, the first one is the decision to get 
right with God. That every single one of you, I hope you make this decision. I hope you have made this decision. If you haven't made it yet, I would love for you to make the decision to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, to experience the love and the, and the peace with God and the forgiveness from God that comes, to experience new life in Christ. I hope you make that decision to trust His, res- His resurrection power as the ability to fill you with resurrection life, a new life that you can't find and that you can't experience anywhere or any way else. I hope you experience that. The decision to get right with God because it literally changes everything. But there's a second choice that I think is just important, just as important to make, maybe just a scale down, but it also has huge, huge implications. And the second decision is simply this, the decision to get right with money. The decision to get right with money. The decision to get right when it comes to money. And the reason I say get right is that I think when, when we look at the world around us, what most of us choose to do with money and look at the way that most of us handle money, we have settled for normal, while normal is a problem. See, let me give you a snapshot of what normal looks like when it comes to money, or at least what it looked like even before the pandemic hit. A lot of these statistics come from 2018 or 2019. They haven't done studies on what this looks like in 2020 because no one has an idea what 2020 is going to end up looking like. But here's some of the most recent statistics about what normal looks like when it comes to finances across our country and even a little bit in our state. The average U.S. household with at least one type of debt averages $144,100 in debt. That's how much, if you have debt, that's the average amount that a household has. The average American household credit card debt is a $5,700 balance. The average credit card debt for New Mexicans, this, is, this, is, this one blew me away, is $8,300. More than, more than $2,600 more than the national average is the credit card debt for New Mexicans. In the last five years, an average percentage of people taking out loans when they buy a car, meaning if you buy a car, 92% of people are taking out a loan every time they buy a car. As of June 2020, this is one of the 2020 statistics, only 69% of Americans have less than $1,000 in savings, which means if an emergency hit, they don't have the funds to handle an emergency. 95% of married couples fight regularly about money. If you wanted to retire at 65 and have an annual spending of $65,000, you need, this is crazy, you need $1.6 million saved for retirement, but the average retirement savings at age 55 is $124,831, meaning that if you wanted to retire in the next 10 years, all you would have to do is save $1.476 million in the next 10 years. The average person is not even close to prepared for retirement. 69% of students from the class of 2018 took out student loans, graduating with an average debt of over $30,000. Now, here's the thing. Some of you, you're hearing that and you go, wait, 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 is, are you saying that's bad? Because that's your financial picture. That's your retirement. That's your savings. That's your, that's your in case of an emergency fund. That's your, that's your outlook on life. That's your credit card debt. That's your student loan debt. And if that's the case, I've got good news for you and I've got bad news for you. The good news is that that doesn't make you bad. That makes you normal. I mean, that's what was modeled for you. It's what your parents showed you or taught you about money. That's what all of your friends were doing when they took out loans for a car or loans for college or they bought more house than they could afford, assuming that, that things would get better for them. It's, it's, normal. That's the good news. The bad news is that normal is kind of bad. 
The bad news is that normal is kind of broken. The bad news is that normal leaves you pretty bound up. Normal is not free. Normal leaves you with very, very few good choices and very few good options. That, that normal is kind of bad. Normal is kind of broken. That's why it's so life-changing to get right with money. Because all of us have chosen to be normal with money, but normal is kind of broken. It's important to get right with money. That's why one of the things that I enjoy most outside of talking about Jesus and outside of preaching about Jesus is sitting down with people who are saying, look, I, I need to get better with finances. Help me get better with finances. Or just sit down with couples who are about to get married and talk about a budgeting process and how to, how to actually do money right. It's one of my favorite things to do to get right with money about how to do right and not just do normal. Because, because being normal leaves you broke and bound, getting right with money brings freedom and peace. Let me say that again. Because being normal leaves you broken and bound, getting right with money brings freedom and peace. And those are the things that we're all actually hoping for when it comes to money. So let's talk about money today. Let's talk about how to get right with money. Now, here's the thing that we all want. Here's the thing that we all want. When it comes to money, everyone wants financial freedom. And when I say financial freedom, here's, here's what we're really talking about. That we want the ability to do what we want when we want. The ability and the means to set our own course and to control our today and to dictate our future. That's a good desire. That's financial freedom. That's what financial freedom means to most of us. That we want to do what we want when we want. We don't want to have to say no because we don't have the funds to do something. We want to do what we want to do. And we want to be able to dictate our, our today and to dictate what our future will be financially. That's what we want, financial freedom, to have freedom. But this is also why we need restraints in our life. See, if you're not careful, your desire for freedom and your desire to do what you want to do when you want to do it, it can actually undermine your ability to someday get the freedom that you really, really want. See, everyone wants financial freedom, but here's the truth. You only get financial freedom by choosing financial discipline. You only arrive at a place where you get financial freedom someday by choosing financial discipline over the course of a lifetime. You only end up at that place where you're financially free and you can dictate your future and you can dictate your today and you can do what you want when you want because you've chosen a life of financial discipline because you've intentionally practiced some things that God has told us are wise with finances all along. Now here's something fascinating that Jesus said about, about money. Starting in Matthew chapter 6, it says this, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. In other words, don't be driven by the temporary because it's, it's temporary. It doesn't last. It's not something of eternal value. It's not something even of, of lasting value. It's something that can be here today and gone tomorrow. Don't store your treasure there. Don't invest your finances there. I mean, there are things that will be gone here today and gone tomorrow and you, and you pay attention to like food, but there, but there are thing, other things that he says, look, don't store up your treasures here on earth. Don't invest your finances in things that don't last. Don't invest your finances in things that are literally here today and, and gone tomorrow, or you are or literally are in the past and you've already and you're still paying for them. Don't store up your treasures there. He says, store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. And then here's the kicker. He says this: wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. See, Jesus is saying that every decision that we make with our treasure is connected to 
our heart. That you can tell what matters to a person today, and you can tell what mattered to people then by what they did with their money. That was true 2,000 years ago, and it's true today. That if I could take a look at your bank account, which I won't do, and I'm not going to ask to do, but if I could take a look at your bank account, I could tell what's most important to you by what you spend money on. I could tell, I could tell what matters to you, and I could tell who matters to you by what you spend money on. And if you could take a look at my bank account, which I'm not going to let you do either, you could tell what matters to me and who matters to me by what I spend my money on. That Jesus is ultimately telling us something that we all intuitively know, that your heart and your wallet are deeply connected. Your heart and your wallet are deeply connected. We spend on the things we love. We spend on the people that we love. It's just plain true that what matters to you gets a portion of your paycheck, that the people that matter to you get a portion of your paycheck. It's true. Now, what makes it true and what makes it compelling is what Jesus says after this, what Jesus connects this idea to, the final statement that Jesus makes in regards to money. Here's, what, here's how Jesus said this. He said, look, your heart and your wallet are connected. And then he brought it all, brought it all together with this little bomb that, that he said. He said, no one can serve two masters. Masters. There's a word that we've brought up a few times throughout this series. No one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. And he said this, you cannot, you cannot. In other words, what Jesus said, look, it's actually impossible. You cannot do this. You cannot serve God and be enslaved, enslaved to money. There's two big words that I highlighted there on the screen, and I hope I drew enough emphasis to them as we're talking. It's the words masters and enslaved masters and enslaved. This is actually one of the clearest examples of something that we have talked about over the course of this entire series, that if we're not careful, the thing that we choose as an expression of our freedom can end up being our master, can end up being the thing that takes away our freedom, that if we live without restraint, we still get restraint. And if we live unguided by godly wisdom and by godly principles in our finances, when we choose I'm not going to let anyone tell me how to live with my finances. I'm not going to let anyone tell me what to do with my money. I'm certainly not going to let God, who I can't see and who, who can't be in the room with me, to tell me what to do with my finances. When we do that, we don't end up free. We end up in a very normal but very predictable, unfree place. It's a familiar place, but it's not free. And so Jesus says, look, you have a choice. You can allow God to point the way, and together with God, you master your money, or unfortunately, in pursuit of your freedom, in pursuit of your independence, in pursuit of I'm going to do what I want to do when I want to do it, you can end up mastered and enslaved by your money. And so because your money has that kind of power, it's wise for all of us to choose some restraints when it comes to our finances. So here's a few. Number one is this. I refuse to spend more than I make. I refuse to spend more than I make. Now, I understand that this is a really good starting point, but it also sounds a little bit simple. It sounds so obvious. But do you know how the average credit card in debt in the country got to be $5,700 on a balance? And do you know how in New Mexico, the average credit card balance got to be $8,300 on a balance? It got there by little, by little, by little, by little, by little, by a little more, by a little more, by a little more, by a little more, by a little over time, over time, over time, over time. 
people spending more than they made. And we got comfortable with it. And we got comfortable with, well, well this week or this month, we went like you know, $20 or more over or $15 more than we made. And that's not a big deal because in the future, we'll deal with that and we'll, and we'll, and we'll do that. But over time, if you, if you keep pushing things off into the future and if you keep spending a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more than you make, you end up with a lot more than you can afford to pay off. See, here, here's what happens. What we do with, with our spending is we say, well, this is what I make, so I have this plus whatever my credit card will allow me to spend, and so I have that, that, that's my spending ability. And I'm just telling you, in case no one ever told you this, money available on a credit card is not a spending tool for you. It is not free money for you. It is a financial tool that financial companies use to make money off of you because you end up spending more in the interest than you spent on the actual purchase when you're, when you're spending more than you make. So it's a really good, as just a baseline, as a baseline restraint. One of the best decisions that you could ever make and that we've tried to make as a family is simply this, that from this moment forward, I won't get comfortable with, with gaining debt little by little by spending more than I make. I refuse to spend more than I make. Here's the second restraint. I will ruthlessly eliminate debt. I will ruthlessly eliminate debt. In Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7, Solomon, who's written a lot of the things that we've read and that we've discussed over the last couple of weeks, he said this, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is a slave. There's that word again, is a slave to the lender. That's that word slave again. Now, this is why we don't want to get comfortable spending more than we, than we earn, because we can unknowingly end up a slave. Now, if you have already crossed into the space where you have debt, or even if you have significant debt, I just want to let you know that is not a sin issue. It's a wisdom issue. That choosing debt, using debt, is, is a wisdom issue. And choosing to stay in debt is a wisdom issue, which means choosing debt is unwise, using debt is unwise, and choosing to stay in debt when you can choose to pay it down is also unwise. Wise. And now I want you to know, I chose that phrase, ruthlessly eliminate debt, very, very, very carefully and very intentionally. Because if you try to casually eliminate debt, if you have debt and you're trying to casually eliminate debt, unfortunately, you will not do it. You cannot casually eliminate debt, which means if you're going to try to try to pay off debt and you're going to try to move forward into a financial future that doesn't include debt, you're going to have to get serious. You're going to have to get focused. You're going to have to get ruthless. And that means that you make more than minimum payments, probably way more. It might mean that you get a side hustle so that you can attack the debt that you have. It might mean that you follow Dave Ramsey's advice and you implement what's called the debt snowball, where you where you pay more than, you, you, you quickly eliminate one debt and you start putting that towards the next one and that towards the next one. And now you're making massive payments on, on each debt and that, that's how you get rid of debt quickly. It might mean that you do that. It might mean that instead of buying more gifts for Christmas this year, that you give yourself the gift of financial freedom by spending what you would have spent on Christmas gifts on paying it down or paying it off. And I'm just telling you, that will be probably less satisfying for you or for your kids on Christmas morning. But the feeling of peace that comes in your house after that is something that you can't buy anywhere else. It might mean that you take that that you drastically cut your food expenses by 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 really, really, really seriously eliminating all the times that you eat out that or that you don't take your own lunch by, by eating at home and taking your own lunch, and that all the money that used to go towards eating out, it now goes goes towards paying off your debt. I'm just telling you, that might be a little less like less enjoyable for you, but it will be worth it when someday you realize that holy cow, I paid 
off my debt. I got ruthless. I got serious. I got focused. But now I live without the weight of credit card debt or that debt that that I that thing that I borrowed from my parents or the th- or the student loan debt. That you actually can pay it off and you can find financial freedom there and you can find peace that you have not had in a long time. If you're be, if you'd be willing to get ruthless about eliminating debt and finding freedom. Here's the third one. I will budget honestly, not hopefully. I will budget honestly, not hopefully. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus was teaching and he said this. He said, for which of you wanting to build a tower doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? See, budgeting is important. Jesus is actually talking about, he didn't use the word budget, but Jesus was talking about budgeting. He was making sure you have enough. He's making sure that you understand that you tell your money where to go. And if you don't have the money, you don't actually spend it. Budgeting is important. Budgeting tells your money to where, where to go so you don't have to wonder where it went. Budgeting well and budgeting honestly is even more important because a budget based on hopes and dreams, and, and, and this might happen, doesn't really help you because it isn't established it doesn't establish a plan based in reality. It, 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 it establishes a plan in, a, in an imaginary land where everything goes exactly the way that you want it to go. But you know life doesn't always go the way you want it to go. You don't always get the raise that you think you're going to get. You don't always get the promotion that you hope for. You don't always get all the sales that you think you're going to make. You don't always earn all of the commission that you would want to make. That, that life and finances don't always go the way you want them to go. And if you budget and plan in a way that requires, requires, like absolutely needs a miracle, you're putting yourself in a risky situation because if the miracle happens, cool, you finally found yourself able to afford the, the life of assumption that you've made that God has to come through in order for you to, for you to, to survive financially. But if the miracle doesn't happen, if the big raise doesn't happen, if the big sale doesn't happen, if overtime gets cut, you are left scrambling and you're left putting things on credit cards, which we just tried to ruthlessly eliminate. So this is actually why as a church, we adopted a financial strategy. It's a really simple thing. Dream with bold faith, plan with real numbers. Dream with big faith, plan with real numbers. See, you should have big dreams and you should have big plans. You should also be rooted in reality. See, budgeting this way helps you to embrace reality and make the best out of reality out of your financial picture. And then if things change for the better, the amazing thing is you can do the dreams. You can, you can meet the dreams. You can meet the goal. As a church, we can, we can do the community outreaches. We can look towards the future with hope and we can, we can do these things, but we want to be established and rooted in reality and then let God meet the, meet the needs and meet the, the, meet what it's, what's required for the big dreams that we have. And I think this is an important thing in a, in a person's life, in a family's life, that it's great to have big dreams. It's great to have big plans. It's great, great to have big goals. It's even better to be rooted in reality. So we budget honestly, not hopefully. We budget honestly, not hopefully. Number four is this. The fourth restraint is this. I will plan for the future instead of paying interest on the past. I will plan for the future instead of paying interest on the past. This is the value of savings. In Proverbs chapter 6, Solomon again wrote this. He said, take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. I love that in scripture, someone just decided to like call everyone lazy bones. Take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Learn from their ways and become wise. Though they have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work, they labor hard all summer. And then it says this, gathering, which translates to storing or saving or or some other words that could be used there. Gathering, storing, saving food for the winter. See, within your financial discipline, within your financial restraint, you need a plan 
to save. This is a big deal. This is important. When you save for something, you gain interest. When it's in a savings account, when it's in a CD, when it's in some, some sort of retirement account, you gain interest. You receive interest on what you're saving. When we talk about restraints in your finances, this is one of the biggest principles that I can think of. Restraint does not mean that we never make big purchases. It doesn't mean we never buy expensive things. Restraint means instead of rushing into something because we want it now, we identify the things that we want. We make sure it's really what we want and we save up for it instead of putting it on a credit card. And when you do that, you earn interest towards the future instead of pay interest on something that you have already purchased in the past. The other really wise part of making sure that you prioritize savings and making savings part of your financial planning, financial discipline, is that there are unexpecteds in life and there are emergencies that happen in life. See, ER visits are a reality for you or your kids at some point. Tires and brakes need replacing. Um, heating, heating and AC systems need maintenance or need replacements. Like that stuff happens. That stuff happened to ha- happens to us. I mean, like this year in in the middle in the middle of, of of the summer, our AC went out and a tire went out, and we needed some brake work done. I mean, so in in a in a week and a half time, we had nine hundred dollars in expenses in in expenses that were unexpected. This stuff happens. This stuff happens, and we are so glad when it, when that happened that throughout our the course of our life as a family that we have intentionally saved, that we've intentionally saved, because if we hadn't, we wouldn't have had anything to cover those unexpected events. And so when you when you do this, you prepare for the eventual. You pre- prepare for the unexpected. You prepare for the emergencies so that an emergency doesn't put you right back in the place where that you just scrambled out of, so that you end up in a place where, hey, an unexpected thing, an emergency thing doesn't have to be the end of our financial freedom. But, but if you're not prepared, let me just tell you what happens. You put the ER visit and you put the tires and you put the brakes and you put the AC and you put the heat on a credit card. And then once again, you're paying interest on something that you could have been earning interest ahead of time to pay for. So so whatever your financial discipline, no matter what you make, even as you're living paycheck to paycheck, or if it means finding some additional work in order to do it, make sure that you're not using up everything, but you're intentionally setting aside something in savings to prepare for the future and to prepare for the unexpected and the emergencies that come across in life. And here's the final here's the final restraint. I will choose generosity so that greed never gets hold of me. I will choose generosity so greed never gets hold of me. See, I get it. No no one ever thinks of themselves as a greedy person. No no one ever does. I I never do. Devin I'm sure never does. That that not not one of us ever thinks of ourselves as a greedy person, but greed is when we assume that everything that we get is for ourselves to consume. That's what greed is. When, when I assume or when any of us assume that everything that we have, everything that we receive from God, every bit of financial, you know, anything that we get is, for, is ours to consume, that's greed. This is what Jesus was warning about, that you can't serve money. You can't live enslaved by money and follow God. That if you assume every bit of money that you receive, that you receive from God, by the way, is for you, it's just a short hop from there to being mastered by your money and being a slave to money. If you find yourself in that place where everything I get is for me, everything my family gets is for our family, and we use up every single bit of it, we, like we're supposed to use every bit of it. We should use up every bit of it and a little bit more. 
It's just a short hop from that little bit of greed that's worked, your, worked its way into our, heart, our hearts to actually being mastered and enslaved by our money. And the only thing, the only thing that Scripture teaches that can break the power of greed is to intentionally and consistently choose generosity. To make the decision that a portion of your income goes to something beyond you and doing things that you can't do on your own. Throughout the New Testament, the best place for Jesus' followers to be generous is to be generous towards God through being generous towards the local church. But even if you're not a Jesus follower and you're you're kind of watching this out of curiosity and you don't want to give to a local church, or or maybe you're a Jesus follower, but somewhere along the way you've seen churches abuse money, I, I, I would say this, this is still something that you should consider doing and find somewhere and something that you do trust and something that you do care about and something that you think will make a difference in the world that's beyond you, that you should choose that because generosity breaks the power of greed. Generosity breaks the power of greed. Generosity is the only thing that can break the power of greed. So that you choose generosity. You should consistently choose generosity. If you're a Jesus follower and you, and you trust your local church, you should choose generosity because generosity breaks the power of greed and it helps the thing that you care about. And if you're not a Jesus follower or you don't trust your local church, you should still give generously somewhere into something because Generosity breaks the power of greed in you and it frees up the people that God has entrusted and given responsibility in this world to do the things that he's called them to do. Generosity breaks the power of greed so that greed never gets a hold on you. See, that's how we find freedom. That's how we find freedom. That's how we stay free with our, with our finances. That's how when God blesses us financially, it doesn't turn out to be something that actually ends up mastering us. See, when we live with financial discipline, we really do find financial freedom. That's great news. That's great news for you. That's great news for me. That every one of us can choose financial discipline, which means that later in life, every single one of us can actually find financial freedom. And here's what's cool. When you're financially free, you can do some really cool stuff. You can do some really cool stuff. And here's the thing, like, like yeah, you can, you can eat expensive meals and you can wear the best clothes and, and you can take great trips and you, can, and you can go to the places that you've always hoped for and, you, and you hope to visit and you can get all the latest tech and you can do all that and that's great. And you know, if you can do that, you know, go, go ahead and do that. But there's something bigger. When, when, when you're financially free, you can do all those things that you talked about when you were a teenager, when you were in your 20s and you had all those ideas and all those ideals about how you were gonna help the world and how you're gonna change the world, that when you're financially free, free. You have the freedom and the financial ability to do all of those things. See, when you're financially free and you, and in the middle of a pandemic, you know that one of your neighbors lost work and they don't have the ability to afford the groceries that they, that they, that they need for their family or for their kids. That when you, when, when, when you're financially free, you can help your neighbors. You can love your neighbors. You can literally be the hands and feet of Jesus loving your neighbors through a pandemic. When you're financially free as, when we're financially free as a church, as, as, as we are, we can get involved in the no one hungry, no one hungry food, food distribution for Thanksgiving, and we're going to help 600 families be able to afford and to have a Thanksgiving dinner this year. That's amazing, and you can do that when you have financial freedom. That when you're financially free, you can be really radically generous towards God and towards the local church, and you can help a church like ours establish a permanent home in our city through our Home for Christmas campaign that begins in just two weeks. I mean, like, just to talk about that for a second, in order for us to raise $100,000 like we're trying to do in, in, in the month of December, we're going to need a lot of you to choose generosity. 
We're gonna need actually every one of you to choose generosity. We're gonna need some of you to choose radical generosity, to choose sacrificial generosity, because we really believe that God can do some amazing things through a church. And we believe God has done some amazing things through a church, but we know that it's time for us to start to put some roots down and to, and to begin to have a place to call home. And I believe that we can do that. And so once again, we're believing with big dreams and we're staying rooted in reality. And we believe the reality is that God can provide a home for us through his people this, this Christmas as we choose generosity. See, that's what can happen when you live with discipline and restraint financially. You can actually live free. You can have the freedom and the financial peace that we've all hoped for. Never mastered by your money, never again living under a pile of debt, and you can do big things when God calls you to do big things. It's pretty cool. It's worth living towards. It's worth choosing some restraint so we can actually live free. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you give us wisdom so that we know what to do financially. We don't, we don't just live trying to figure it out on our own. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your direction. Thank you for the truth that Jesus spoke. Thank you that, that he told us that we, that we cannot serve two masters. We can't go through life trying to follow you but be enslaved by money. We have to let you guide our way financially. So God, give us wisdom to know with what to do with what we just heard. Give us courage to actually put it in practice. God, for those of us who find ourselves in debt, God, I pray that you would help us to have the courage to get ruthless about eliminating the debt that we may have. Help us to help us to get passionately focused about getting rid of that so that we can live and experience the freedom that you would have for us. God, help us to choose generosity so that greed never gets a hold of us. Help us to know what that looks like and help us to do it. And Lord, I pray that you would do incredible things in our heart and in our lives and in our world as we choose generosity, as we choose your way, and as we choose your plan to experience the freedom that you have so we, that we have the freedom to do whatever you call us to do. We love you, God, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.